Aspen Gold, baby. That's how I started my day today with Boyer's Coffee. I do it every day. And also, I had my midday uh, cup of uh, Boyer's Coffee as well, mocha style at the ballpark. Uh, sipped on it to begin uh, the first inning as uh, Deb always takes care of me. You can get Boyer's throughout the stadium. You can get Boyer's at your house. Go to boyerscoffee.com, and they'll deliver any product you want right to your front door. told you many times, that's how I get it done. Also, if you're ever up on the north side, 73rd in Washington, the food truck's there. And the last Friday of every month, they have all kinds of uh, drink specials and food specials as well. Uh, Go to their website because there's always something going on there also. Again, it's boyerscoffee.com. They've been brewing coffee at the top of the food chain. Can I say that? I guess I did. Since 1965, they're outstanding and they're a great community partner. It's boyerscoffee.com. So I was looking at my garage the other day and I said, man, I got to power wash things and, and clean up some of the dirt from the winter. It's that time of year. And who better to help you out than Steel, S-T-I-H-L. They have power pressure washers that'll get that job done for you, lickety split. And they also have, as you know, chainsaws and trimmers and blowers and everything to get your house, your property looking spiffy this spring. Because uh, the summer months are almost upon us and you want to make sure you get all those chores done and stay on top of them with steel products, S-T-I-H-L. And you want to see how many they have? I hope you have some time. Go to Steel Dealers or SteelUSA.com and uh, you'll be blown away, literally, by uh, how many products they have and how many things will help you in your life keeping that home looking extra special. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Chris Forbes, the farm director for the Colorado Rockies. You know, we want to challenge players. And there's going to be spells where you're absolutely going to be getting your teeth kicked in. And you'd love to see that resiliency factor, the fight or die type component that starts to show up. And we celebrate episode number 150 as Drew takes a few listener questions. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. And tell a friend, this is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 150. How about that? Pat myself on the back. Pat Markey on the back, who uh, handles everything else uh, involved in this show. Engineering. He's the voice you hear, that that great voice. Big thanks to, to Markey for uh, helping me navigate this uh, show over three years now. And thanks to all of you, most importantly, uh, for listening and for telling your friends uh, about uh, what we do here. And uh, it's 150 shows, which means we've had 148 guests. Now, there have been some repeat guests, like today, Chris Forbes, who's the farm director of the Rockies, was on uh, a year ago, kind of giving an update on all the Rockies minor leaguers as the system continues to improve. And uh, Chris is now in his first uh, full season as the farm director of the Rockies. He kind of took over uh, midway last year. And uh, he's a he's a great guest. We've had we've had guys on multiple times. I'm trying to think who's been on the most. It's probably my partners, Jeff Houston and Ryan Spielborgs, and I appreciate uh, those guys when I uh, when I pluck them and uh, and you know kind of twist their arm behind the back and make them do it. No, they enjoy it. We have fun when we do it. We'll have those guys on uh, in the not too distant future uh, as well. But it's been a fun endeavor. I don't know if I've ever told you how it all started. Julie Brownman, who I used to do the show with, and I love Julie. Julie's, uh, you know, doing many other things uh, now. But uh, we, she came to me and we, she said, you know, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And uh, she kind of educated me on that. And, and I said, I'd love to do it. I'd love to have a place where I could talk more freely and hit on a bunch of different topics and not be constrained by having to talk about one singular topic or even length of time, like you are in talk radio. And so it really appealed to me. I love the long form interview. I've told you all that before. Uh, so it's always nice to have a guest uh, every week and, and kind of, you know, get into things and, um, 
you know, ask questions that uh, perhaps in other areas uh, or other places you may not have as much time uh, to delve into. So that was the origin of it. And Julie and I did it together for uh, a year or so. And then the last couple of years, I've kind of gone solo with the the help of uh, Marky, as I told you about. And so it's been fun. And and again, big appreciation to all of you for continuing to listen. And uh, our numbers, I think, have, have tripled here in the last couple of months, which is which is neat to see. So continue to uh, to tell everybody about uh, where you can download. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, uh, a big thanks also to uh, my friends at DNVR. Uh, they promote the podcast, and I'll jump on with them once a week. And they do uh, great things on, on the DNVR side, covering every team in the region, whether it's professional or collegiate. And, of course, especially my man, Patrick Lyons, uh, who handles the Rockies coverage so well, five days a week, print, and also the podcast. Uh, each day. So a big uh, shout out to DNVR. I'm going to handle a couple of your questions uh, today from the, uh, I'd call it a studio audience, but there ain't no studio. So it's just from the audience, a couple of questions uh, you have. As we tape this late on a Wednesday afternoon, gorgeous day in Colorado, the Rockies finally broke that losing streak against the Giants. They did it with three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. They entered the bottom of the eighth, trailing three to two. And Connor Joe pinch hit for Brian Servin, who was making his major league debut. He threw out a base hit, and uh, Daza would naturally uh, throw out a hit to bring him around. And then it was Connor, excuse me, then it was C.J. Crowan hitting a two-run home run, snapped a 55 at bat stretch without a home run, but he was driving in runs with singles and doubles uh, in between his ninth and 10th home run in the Rockies. Got a one, two, three inning from Daniel Bard. So they snapped that streak against San Francisco. Much needed. Uh, the Giants are, are, are such a good team. They don't have the big, sexy names that the Dodgers have, uh, the intimidating kind of names, but they play smart baseball and they play clean baseball and they have productive outs they lead baseball i believe in sack flies as we talk they produced a couple of sack flies in the game today they're 19th and 20th of the year and 40 percent of them eight so you have to do the math quick are against the rockies so they're a good team you don't win 107 games by accident and i know you know, their backstop is now in retirement, the future Hall of Famer, Buster Posey. Uh, but they're still really good. They're still really good. So it's good to see the Rockies uh, win that ball game. Real quick, before we get into the questions, I wanted to talk to you about Jonathan Daza. Daza was one of those guys who was out of options. And in spring training, a lot of people, you know, fans of the Rockies were speculating, you know, does Daza make the team? Is he the odd man out? Not only does he make the team, but you could make an argument here, a really convincing and compelling argument, almost two months into the season, he's been one of their three best players. He plays great defense on a team that has not played good defense, and he's hitting close to 400, and now all of a sudden he's kind of forced himself in the lineup every day. He uses the whole ballpark. He is, for me... And this is not a knock on the guy I'm about to mention, because I like this guy, but he's a better version of Rymel Tapia in that he's giving you offense. He doesn't hit a lot of home runs, but he doesn't hit it on the ground the way Rymel did. They're line drives sprayed all over the ballpark. He doesn't strike out, and he is their best outfielder. He has a great story I'm going to share with you. Um, I, I mentioned this once on one of the broadcasts on AT&T Sportsnet. But I don't imagine that everybody hears every word we talk about. He got into baseball when he was about eight years of age, growing up in Venezuela. That's from Maracay. And he got into baseball because his older brother, who was about 20 at the time, was shot and killed in Venezuela. And his mother, who was so concerned about her little boy and trying to find distractions for him, knew of a, a team that was run by somebody in the neighborhood and said, I'm going to get him involved in that. And, and hopefully, at least part of the time, it will take his mind off of the tragedy of losing his brother. 
And that's what she did. And he loved it naturally. And he took off and he became so good that the Rockies signed him when he was 16 years of age. And if you look at once he came to the States, how he did at each stop, look these numbers up. He always hit over 300. Everywhere he went, he always hit. And that has not stopped in the big leagues. And he's forced the hand of Buddy Black, not just getting an occasional appearance and you see him in the eighth or ninth spot in the lineup. Lately, he's been in the two-hole. And I know Chris Bryant's coming back. And Chris Bryant, obviously, he's going to play. I mean, the Rockies signed him for $182 million. And Chris Bryant, when he's right, you know, he's one of the you know better hitters in baseball. But Daz is going to play. And I love his energy every day. I love how hard he plays. And, and you don't get to see this, but he wears a smile everywhere he goes, whether it's in the clubhouse or around the batting cage. He loves the game and he plays with a great joy. So uh, as a fan of baseball, as a fan of the Rockies, as a broadcaster of the Rockies, I'm so happy to tell you that story and to see Jonathan Daza have success. On to the questions of the day. Marky, you have number one. Eric Littleton asks, Drew, I saw where Sam Hilliard shaved his beard, and then it looked like he had a little success. Is there any correlation? Yes, Sam Hilliard shaved his beard. He said he woke up one day and, you know, he hadn't hit any home runs and the batting average wasn't pretty. And he said, all right, I got to do something different. And so he, he looked at himself in the mirror and he said, off comes the beard. And lo and behold, first game without the beard, he hits a home run. That was a, a week ago on Friday. And then on Saturday, it's not like he could paste the beard back on. No reason to. He had a good night. Hits another home run. First two of the year without the beard. And... We asked him about it after, I think it was the second game. And he said, yeah, it's probably, my my, my success the last couple of days is probably 20% no beard and 80% all the hard work I'm putting in. So I got a hold of that and I teased him. I said, dude, it better be 100% all the hard work you're putting in and 0% uh, no beard. And he laughed. He goes, yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, I'm not the biggest superstition guy. Well, I have a little, some superstitions. But anyhow, happy to report that without the beard, Sam Hilliard uh, is starting to get results. And, and and that's good to see, man. Handsome kid. Great kid. He's a guy that, uh, that we all root for. And, and for the Rockies to continue to get better, they need the contributions from Sam Hilliard. And they need to hit him. You, you'll see him hit, hit baseballs over the wall. So actually thinking about Sam Hilliard shaving his beard... Got me thinking about other strange superstitions with facial hair. And the number one all-time superstition with facial hair with the Rockies is owned by the all-time most superstitious guy who ever wore purple pinstripes, and that would be Todd Helton, naturally. So one game, I think I've told this story before, one game, Helton goes up to the plate, and I guess he wasn't going particularly well, maybe by his standards. Maybe he was like 0 for 4 in the previous game. He goes up to the plate. He's got a full beard. Goes up to the plate, and he pops out or whatever he does. And I don't even really notice this initially, but evidently he comes back, and now he's got you know a goatee going in a second at bat. He'd run up to the clubhouse and shaved off part of his beard. Second at bat, he grounds out the second. Comes back, his third at bat, you get... What's happening here? He's got a mustache shaved off other facial hair. And this is all while the game's going on in between his at-bats and playing defense. He didn't get a hit in his third at-bat. His fourth at-bat, he came up, he was clean-shaven. He was nuts, but that's as superstitious, uh, especially when it comes to facial hair, as I remember. So with Sam Hilliard shaving his beard, uh, it reminded me of Helton partially shaving his beard, each at bat in a game. Crazy. All right, what's next question, Marky, from the uh, from the audience? Jared in Aurora asks, Drew, has it been good for you to get back on the road with the team this year? Hell yeah, I'm happy to be back on the road for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's to do the job right. And, you know, COVID prevented all broadcasters from, from doing their job as properly as we are accustomed to doing uh, in providing all of you at home 
with as much information and anecdotes and updates on on your on your favorite players as we would um, when we're with the, with the team on the road. Uh, I, I've said this many times that in preparation for a ball game, I do a lot of work at the house or on the road, uh, you know, in the hotel, reading different things and, uh, you know, have research packets sent to me and have my favorite websites and et cetera that, that you go over. And then you go to the ballpark typically about three and a half hours, three or three and a half hours before the ball game. And, you, you know, you, you write in the lineups. But then the most important thing I do is is hanging around the batting cage and talking to both teams and, you know, just visiting with players and coaches. And you never know when stories come out of those conversations or you just get a feel for how guys are doing. And you can pass it along to all of you who are looking in that evening and want as much information on your club and, and the club that the Rockies are playing that night. So number one, to be out on the road and to, and to do our job right is is the most you know, is the greatest thing about being back uh, traveling. Number two, I'm not going to lie. I've always enjoyed the travel, save when I was missing my kids' games. Hated that. And uh, I know some people ask, hey, you know, I noticed you were gone. Where were you? Right now, it's to watch my middle son uh, play college baseball, and they're now in in the NCAAs in the postseason. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to miss that because as I'm fond of saying, when they get ready to throw dirt on my ass, I'm not going to be lamenting the game I missed at Dodger Stadium or Oracle Park. It's going to be about my kids and my three boys and and uh, all those, you know, high quality time spent being around them and, and watching them play. Um, but getting back to the road, I do enjoy the road. I, I enjoy the many cities we go to. I have my favorite running trails and running routes. Um, I, I have my favorite coffee shops. I have my favorite, like Spilly and I have this sushi place that we always go to late at night after the ball game in San Francisco. It's a little hole in the wall place, uh, two or three blocks from Union Square, where we've stayed for years and years when the Rockies played the Giants. And it stays open late. It's got a great atmosphere. It's got unbelievable sushi. And we'll sit there and have Sapporo's and sake. And eat sushi at 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And we did that a couple of nights in San Francisco last week. So I miss all those times. So, yeah, it's great. It's great to be on the road. Going to Washington next week. Old Ebbett Grill. If you ever go to our nation's capital, go to Old Ebbett Grill. It's right across basically from the White House. And we go there late. And... You know you travel a lot when you know the bartenders in certain places by name and they know you. Um, The Orca. We always order the Orca. And that is, it comes on on like three levels and it takes up like a whole table. And it's got jumbo shrimp and it's got oysters and clams and all kinds of different stone crab. I mean, it's just tremendous. And I'm a glutton for for seafood. So we do that after games between the Rockies and Nationals. So, yes, long-winded, but it's great to be back on the road. Appreciate all those questions. Keep them coming. You can hit me up on Twitter if you want and uh, and shoot me questions, and we'll cover everything that we, uh, you know, that we feel is appropriate to cover. So uh, there you go. All right. Time to get an update on the improving Rocky system. Their farm system has really improved dramatically the last uh, year or so, especially at the lower levels. And I thought nobody better than Chris Forbes, who is the farm director for the Rockies, to give all of you some insight and get you familiar with uh, some names you may know and maybe some names you may not know, um, many of which will be future Rockies. And if not this year, certainly in the in the coming years. So our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, the Farm Director for the Rockies, Chris Forbes. How often, Chris Forbes, do you get to see your own house? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, in a rare occasion, I'm in it right now. You know, I got back from Mother's Day, uh, came into a, uh, a house that uh, everybody was battling the flu the week I was gone, so... You know, a lot of Lysol, a lot of laundry, <laughs> getting caught up. 
There, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Right. Make sure, make sure you're home on Mother's Day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, good deal. So you, um, I talked to you last week, and you were in Hartford. They're playing well, aren't they? They are playing well. I mean, it's a uh, the clubhouse is in a great spot. Um, you know how they kind of how they're operating, how they're picking each other up, how they seem to be truly emotionally invested in each other. It's just, uh, you know, I mean, it's fantastic after some of the stuff we've gone through there. Uh, to really see a team kind of come together this early in the year. I want to ask you about that. And I've talked to you, you know, kind of off air about these things before. When you took over philosophically, you know, the minor leagues is really interesting. You know, Rockies fans who are listening in right now, they, you know, they want to know, and we'll get into, you know, individuals and, and guys that are getting, you know, the organization excited and ultimately will get fans excited because maybe they'll have a chance to, to really impact the, the big league roster at some point down the road. But it, it still is a team sport, even though these these individuals are, are you know, fighting their ass off to, to improve and to move up the ladder. How important, Chris, to you and to the organization is winning from a team standpoint at each level and developing that chemistry you're talking about? I think it's critical. You know, I think it's absolutely critical. If you're developing players the right way, you're winning a lot of games. But, you know, putting an emphasis on winning, I think, is is very critical to get these groups of guys winning on the way up. I mean, you know, we've seen the dynamics in the past, uh, you know, that group with, with, you know, when Todd was kind of the lone man standing and guys started to join him in that 04, 05, 06, 07 year uh, that led up to that, where, where that group of, of Atkins and Holiday and, and Philly and, you know, these guys had all won on the way up. Um and, you know, that's the dynamic you're trying to, to, to capture now. It's these teams that, that their expectation every time they walk on the field is win the game. You know, we talked about it with our players. Uh, your job as a Rocky player is put your thumb on the pulse of that nice gate and find the win. Uh, yeah. So I do think, I, I think it's a critical component to player development. That's interesting. And when you talk about clubhouse chemistry and, and, and pulling for each other. Have you noticed it at all your stops? And I know you're still early in the season. I know you're heading out to, to see Spokane play, but is that one of the things that you noticed kind of a change, perhaps? Well, you know, I think that, that we've put that, you know, our dialogue's been open. Uh, you know, we've, we've tried to be as transparent and clear and overt in the messaging you know, to these guys that, that, that this is what matters and trying to get them to stay present. Um, you know, it's a hard thing to do in the game. You know, whether, you know, you're coming out of a Power Five conference in the draft and, and all of a sudden your buddies are in double A AA or triple A or knocking on the door or maybe have debuted and, and you know, you, you've just gotten in a double A or, or high A. I get that component, but really pressing the issues of not only giving them ownership of it, and empowering them to kind of create that clubhouse culture, um, you know, but also recognizing that we are putting an emphasis on wins. You know, we want you to compete. That's it. You know, go out there and compete every night. Everything else is going to fall into place. So, you know, I look at, at the clubhouse cultures, you know, like you said, you know, going into Spokane for the first trip tomorrow uh, or to see them tomorrow. But you know, even in Albuquerque, in a place where you know that can get a little bit off the off the rails, you know, when you have guys with service time and guys from different organizations, and you're trying to get them to mix in together. Uh, but we truly have put this clubhouse culture onto the players. You know, I don't want to sit in front of a room and dictate what we should be thinking in each clubhouse. You know, I want that player led, and so far it's been fantastic. Yeah, do, do guys get a little tighter? Um, when you're around? You know, I, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I truly, and I think the guys that have known me for a while, you know, understand that I, you know, I'm doing my best to be the same guy every day. Uh, I don't get reactive or reactionary. Um, you know, I just, we lose a game, we lost a game in Hartford, and, and as Clint Hurdle always tells me, shower well, we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's important. In terms of the other parts of your philosophy when you took over, um, what did you want to implement uh, most notably? Well, I mean, you know, I, I truly wanted 
you know, because I've always been intrigued by how our staff dynamic has, has played out. And I truly wanted to get to a place to where we were empowering the staff. You know, we hired each and every one of these guys to do a job, and I wanted them to make sure they knew we are allowing you to do your job, you know. Um, I don't want to second guess from 30,000 feet, uh, you know, every once in a while, because ultimately the decisions they're making in real time are the right decisions. They have conviction in them. It doesn't always work out. Uh, so, you know, empowering the players and empowering the staff and and truly putting that player-centric model in place, you know, where, where we exist in these roles because of these players and we need to do everything in our power uh, and with a holistic approach to develop each and every one. How important, Chris, is failing, individual failure in the minor league? I've heard this several times through the years, you know, in my time in baseball, that it's important for guys to fail because, as we all know, at whatever level you play, no matter how talented you are, you are going to have, if you're a position player, a one for 15, and if you're a, you know, a pitcher, you're going to have, uh, you know, rough outings. And I've heard that, you know, a lot of people believe it's important that it happens in the minor leagues, even for the most ballyhooed prospects. So if, when it does inevitably happen, when they get to the big leagues, they're able or better able to handle it. I, I absolutely agree with that philosophy. Um, you know, there's no easy trip. You know, the big leagues is a uh, – for me, each level has become this job. And your ability to adjust in the level, understanding that, you know, we want to challenge players. And there's going to be spells where you're absolutely going to be getting your teeth kicked in. And you'd love to see that resiliency factor, um, you know, the the, the flight you know, the fight or die type component that starts to show up, you know, because they, they can get extremely sick of just getting their ass kicked all the time, uh, personally. But I, I think it's critical. We've had some guys that have come in and just been gangbusters sprinting out of the gate. And then eventually you know, okay, here it comes. It's going to come. You know, and if it hasn't come by double A, it's sure as hell going to come in double A. Uh, but I do think it's a critical part. And even going to the amateur scouting side, I mean, we used to talk about that all the time. You go to see a player, a high-profile player, that 0 for 4 with three punch outs is such a fantastic resource with your ability to see him the next day and see how he reacts to it. And, and you know, I do love that component of the job of seeing, you know, how are we going to react to it? Are we going to play a victim here? Or are we going to kind of bow our neck and get after it? and know that there's a big picture in place. Um, not that I'm sitting in the stands and rooting for anybody, rooting against anybody, Drew, but, you know, I mean, you know, you do see that tough, that two and two-thirds tough outing where he's giving up six earn, and you see the 0 for 4 with three punch, and you just kind of love to see, okay, I can't wait for the next outing. You know, because right. if, if you're not learning in the minor leagues, then the journey's kind of on its way to being over anyway. Yeah. Let's start to get into individuals. I know people uh, who are listening, you know, they, they they can follow things so much closer now, so much more information at their disposal than ever before. But let's start in Fresno. And, you know, there, there are some headline names, and I'll be interested to see some names that you throw out as well. But this is a kid that I remember when Rolando signed him. He got a lot of attention. He was a shortstop. And I actually saw him uh, when he was 17 years of age down in the Dominican uh, actually playing against the, uh, my son's college team. Uh, Adele Amador seems to be off to a terrific start, Chris. He's doing fantastic. You know, really, what I love about at such a young age, because he's still a kid, is, you know, his ability to kind of stick to the plan. And, and he's playing with, obviously, especially the players, he's playing with a great deal of confidence right now. Mm-hmm. It's just stick to the plan, which is hard. You know, uh, young young hitters often deviate from the plan the minute things start going a little bit sideways. And he is stuck to it. He's stuck to his approach. He's doing a great job of using all field, recognizing mistakes and driving them. Um, you know, just in a fantastic, fantastic place right now. Is he a shortstop down the road, or is he a second baseman, you think? Well, depending on who you're talking about. I think, I, I you know, I think Ro and I go back and forth on that. I truly think that, that you're going to ultimately have a guy that's got a chance to be an offensive second baseman. Okay. 
There's a guy I'd like to claim him in my family. You know where I'm going right now. Uh, <laughs> Hunter Goodman uh, hit a lot of home runs as a catcher at, at Memphis, and it seems like he's doing the same thing early on in pro ball. He really is. He can absolutely impact the baseball. Um, it is loud. Uh, it is aggressive. You know, I, I was joking with him. I was there for the opening series, and, and Fresno had just unveiled a brand-new, I think, $1.2 million Jumbotron, mm-hmm. uh, and he broke it. Yeah. You know, and I kind of made the joke of, you break it, you buy it, you know. Um, guys like that intrigue me in the fact that, obviously, you know when he's on deck. You're very aware, you know, where he's at in the lineup. Uh, if you get too much played, he will lose a ball. But I just love the fact of, of the damage that he, he seems to be doing right now in the later innings. Um, you know, and that's kind of the layer behind the layer. When he wants those guys, you know, how do they operate in the seven, eight, nine innings when, when games can be won or lost right there? Um, you know, we transition him to first base. So he's getting a ton of first base time uh, as well as, as time behind the plate. Um, but this is, you know, it's a high makeup, you know, very kind of low pulse. So he's extremely even keel. You, you rarely see him even grimace at a pitch. Um, you know, so he's a very intriguing guy. Interesting. Interesting. Um, who else jumps out at you on that Fresno roster? I know you have some young uh kids who I believe are just over in the States from Latin America for the first time, uh, some, some, some big arms, at least in terms of arm speed and their kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, a couple guys from the draft last year, obviously, you know, are, I mean, Mason Green, Green dealt yesterday, the lefty from, from Central Missouri, uh, Braxton Fulford, honestly, could probably catch in, in double A. Right now, he's a he's very tactician, and, and the bat has a lot more life than I thought we were getting. You know, he's got a feel for it. Uh, you know, the right fielder, Yankee Fernandez, I mean, that's, that's what they look like. Uh, every day I see him, I just smile at the fact that he's ours. It's big power. It's a huge arm. And, I, and by huge, I'm talking, you know, Jesse Barfield-ish type of wow. Wow. Uh, and, you know, corner, pure corner profile. Um, you know, he missed, we got him over a little bit of instructional league and then just threw him straight to Fresno. So he has never played down in the complex league. Um, you know, so he, he's making the adjustments, you know, seeing the spin. Uh, one of the other hitters that I think is going to actually have a, a good year is Juan Brito, switch hitting second baseman. Um, you know, he seems to find the barrel very consistently with a uh, similar approach on both sides. Um, he was he was in instructional league, wasn't he? He was in instructional league. Had played in the ACL. Uh, had a really good year last year. Um, you know, so he's kind of more of a name. Uh, Bernabel, obviously, you know, is a guy that I I think extremely highly of. Uh, that's still learning some some aspects of the game. You know, the failure part, truly. You know, a perfect guy to bring up in that realm of, of understanding that you're going to fail. Uh, very competitive at the plate, tremendous upside. Um, and then, you know, having, you know, Benny there, uh, Montgomery surrounded by, you know, this group of, of E.J. Andrews and Braden Ward and Zach Kokoska, you know, that college pedigree out there, uh, that helps those guys tremendously. How's Benny Montgomery doing? He's doing great, you know. I mean, he's he's learning a ton. He talks about it very openly uh, uh, of areas. You know, he's probably playing – I'd have to look at, at his high school, but I can't imagine more than 20 games in a high school season. And then going into the complex league and kind of getting used to that for that little bit of a part of the season. But the complex league is, is extremely controlled. Um. You know, it's not the long bus rides. It's not the travel with it. It's not the hotel beds. It's not, it's none of that. So this first full year, you know, we knew we were going to be checking an enormous box here. And, you know, just the idea of playing with what you can play with and understanding when you're truly injured, uh, which I think took him a while. He's been dealing with a nagging quad strain for quite some time, and we finally decided to <laughs> put him on put him on the aisle just to give it some time, 
And like right. Wilson Wilson, our trainer that I work with him every day, but you know, he's, he's learning a ton. The bat speed is pretty special, you know, it's and, it's, and that frame is going to pack on some muscle. Yeah. He's a, he's a big kid. I remember yeah. seeing him in the fall. He's a big kid. Let's, let's move to Spokane. I know you're going, you're heading up there. They're, they're playing very well. Um, I, let's start with Zach Bean. He's, He's rated as, as the top prospect in the organization. Obviously, he was drafted very high. He had, a, uh, after maybe a slow start last year, I mean, he came on like gangbusters uh, in the Cal League. Um, tell me about Zach Dean, where he is, and, and, and what, what he projects and how quickly he can move. And I know that's an inexact science. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, he, you know, he projects as, as, you know, for me, a well above average player in the big league level. Uh, you know, true corner outfield. Um, you know, his defense has, has progressively got, uh, so much better from when we first got him because I think he finally put an emphasis on. Him. You know, I always look at some of these high school guys like this. A high school coach probably told him during fly balls and defensive work, hey, just go hit in the cage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, right. But, you know, he, he, he very much, you know, even last year, you know, I felt like he kind of pressed when he got there. He wanted to be, you know, the first rounder, he wanted to kind of prove some people right, which he doesn't need to do. And, you know, this year, you know, having to adjust to, you know, it, it takes a while to play in some decent temperature up in Spokane and, and the Northwest League. Uh, you know, so it took him a little bit to settle down and kind of cut his swing down and truly stay with the plan at that. And, and it's amounted to what's been a phenomenal two weeks here. Um, but, you know, with the arm strength, He's got he's got enough speed, and he's also got that frame where he's going to pack on some size, um, you know, and just keep checking the professional maturity boxes. How about Drew Romo? Because I, every time he gets mentioned, you know, the numbers jump out, and the numbers are really impressive for me just based on what I read and had heard about him when he came out of the Woodlands top high school catching prospect, defense, defense, defense. We'll see where the bat goes. And all you read about now is, man, this dude's hitting everything. He's got an OPS well over 1,000. He's hitting, you know, as, as we chat today, he's hitting close to 330. There's there's pop in there. Tell me about Drew, excuse me, Drew Romo. Drew Romo is in a – it works extremely hard to craft on both sides of the ball. You know, I mean, he, I always bring him up defensively in the fact that, you know, he's a guy that Jerry Weinstein can't wear out. You know, right. and that list is actually fairly short. Um, but he just wants it all. And and offensively, you know, I think he's gotten to a place where he recognizes that, you know, that, that achievement component to the cage work over just going and having activity. You know, not, not, not reacting to an over four and now I'm going to hit for three hours after the game. You know, he 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 gets out of the clubhouse. He gets his sleep. He starts the day new. Uh, it's it's been a very mature approach, especially offensively. Um, you know, his plan is all fields. He stays there. Uh, the home runs for him, he'll talk about them or mistakes. Um, and it's just because of this high rate of hard contact he's making right now. And you know, he got the uh, ultimate compliment. From a, uh, our friend from Jersey, Trudy, who's hard to get compliments from, and truly, and Trudy was up there. He said he was by far the best player on the field. Interesting. Yeah, for those for those that that are uh, unaware, Trudy, Mark Strip Matter, you know, got to the big leagues of catchers, worked with catchers for years with the Rockies, brief uh, tenure with Clint over in Pittsburgh. But yeah. Um, Stritty teaches catching as well as anybody beside Jerry Weinstein, right? Well, I mean, and, and a different approach. You know, I was just, I was just with Jerry and Hartford, and I almost had to pull the plug on the machines because the four catchers were getting there. It felt like 9 o'clock a.m. for a 7.05 game. They're going through, uh, <laughs> they were going through Jerry time. We will have more with Chris Forbes, the farm director of the Colorado Rockies, in a moment. But first, this for Ideal Home Loans. 
Brent Ivinson's team, terrific at what they do, and they've been doing it for more than 20 years in Colorado, and they've been doing it for a while down in Arizona. They help you save you money, and they help you navigate the crazy real estate market that we currently uh exist in. And we know that interest rates have gone up. Uh, so they're adept at, again, helping you save money or giving you a game plan for how to purchase that next house. Or perhaps it's to make the current home uh, even nicer and you're doing a home project. You got to give them a call. 303-867-7000. You'd be foolish to not Give them a shout and see if uh, they can help you in whatever your project is. It's uh, 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau because they're outstanding at helping you. 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. Now more with Chris Forbes, the farm director for the Colorado Rockies. Grant Levine, who is a kid who was drafted... uh you know, drafted in the second round, New Hampshire high school kid. It's not like there's a plethora of great baseball typically played in New Hampshire, cold weather state. He's been in the system for a while. Where is he? He is, you know, mentally and physically doing great. Uh, you know, for a young kid and still a young kid, it strikes him this one has always been something that stood out to us. Um, you know, he'll take his walks. Now he's starting to recognize a mistake. He can do damage with it. Uh, make these guys pay, but he has really put himself, you know, in a great, great spot that, you know, he's one of the guys that you hope we can get in Hartford this year. Um, you know, really kind of one of the anchors of what is a fantastic lineup in Spokane. On the mound, and there's other guys, but Joe Rock's numbers early really stand out. Where is he? Um, what does he project to be? Well, Joe is, a, you know, we, we went back and forth on this. And, and you know, I want to be aggressive with players. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you don't want to push a kid too hard. And he had a kid coming out of the draft last year with a limited summer because of the draft going so late. And you kind of build those guys back up and then get them in the games. And we finished off a little bit of the innings in, in the instructional league. Um but, you know, we looked at him in the offseason with his stuff, which is, you know, mid-rotation type potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the carry he's got on the fastballs. You know, I mean, he's a big old donkey. It seems like he releases a ball about four feet from the plate. Um, but he's got some deception in his delivery. He's got a good breaking ball. But he, he loves his challenge hitters. And, you know, just making sure we were doing what was right for Joe Rock. And, you know, to a man, as I talked to the coordinators and, and, you know, obviously extensively talked to Bill, um, you know, he was in a, in a place where we wanted to challenge him and skip him over for his own point straight in Spokane. All right. Let's move to, um, am I leaving anybody out on the mound? Uh, obviously you're, you're we're not talking about every individual. Is there anybody, you know, there that, that really intrigued you is Spokane has a high ceiling? Well, you know, we put, you know, this kind of more of the back-end inventory in place, meaning, you know, not naming a closer, but truly having three or four guys at each level, uh, you know, that can close out games. Uh, you know, whether it ends up being a two-minute save or whether it ends up being a, you know, one-inning save or whatever. But just rotating those guys through the other Jennings and those opportunities. And, you know, that Spokane uh, bullpen has been extremely steady um, this year. You know, I mean, you know, just even the, the one guy that sticks out probably the most because uh, he's in a very similar situation to Joe Rock is, is Luke Packer. Um, you know, undrafted kid out of Oklahoma that, that Gus and the boys wanted last year, so we signed him after the draft. And skipped him again, you know, a tick older, skipped him over Fresno, and all he's done is, just dominate. Uh, was named our organizational pitcher of the month uh, based on some criteria that, that our coordinators have put in place. Um, but just, you know, the, it's been a phenomenal track right there. But, you know, Taggart is a guy that, that you know, we need to keep moving and, and keep challenging him. 
All right, heading head to Double A right now, Chris. Um, for me, and I think a lot of people, just on what he's done to kind of jump out and follow the Rocky system, Ezekiel Tovar the last year, not just within the Rockies organization, but I think nationally in the game of baseball, he, he's really jumped uh, considerably, hasn't he? he? He's a young shortstop who's now shown a, a fair amount of pop, and he did it in spring training. He was the Abby Greer Award winner in spring training and representative of, of the most valuable Rocky during during spring training, usually given, obviously, to a young player. But um, talk, talk to me about where he is and, and when we may see him in Denver. Well, you know, his he took the spring training, the, the phenomenal spring training, straight into the first month, obviously getting named Eastern League Player of the Month. <laughs> He's got a chance to impact the game on both sides of the ball, you know, and, and some of the stuff that we saw last year with the transition up to Spokane and and kind of the fatigue we saw in the fall league, um, you know, he's not right now he's not chasing as much. You know, he's locked in. He you know, um he's got some you know, I obviously the character is phenomenal. And the work ethic is phenomenal. And I'd be shocked if he couldn't catch the ball in San Francisco tonight for that game. You know, he's just got uh, ground ball instincts and just an easiness to his operation at shortstop. And, you know, the one thing we were a little bit concerned about is, is obviously going up to the Eastern League, not only for a 20-year-old playing that league, you know, that's riddled with some guys with service time and, and a ton of other 40-man players on other clubs. But, you know, playing in the conditions that you play in up there early in the year, um, you know, it's not easy for a guy from Venezuela to, to play in, in constant rain or, you know, potential of snow and <laughs> and wind. But he has just been about as consistent and steady. Um, you know, showed up in the clubhouse this week, just the same guy. You know, obviously had a had a big walk-off last week and then ended up having a big walk-off again this week. But, it, you know, you're kind of curious if, if, if he could be a late-inning guy too. You know, a guy that's going to come in there and his best of bats is going to be the last of bats. Um, you know, seeing how this year will progress, he turns 21, I think, in August, and that's off the top of my head. You know, you'd like to get him in Albuquerque, um, you know, next year and then kind of have somebody make a decision on him, you know, at some point next year to get him up there and, and see it. Right. And right. It. But, you know, when he comes up, he needs to be able to stay. You know, he needs to have the everyday at bats. Um, you know, because we're still very much in a development component here. Right. Willie McCarver, uh, it, it seems like the organization is deeper, um, correct me if I'm wrong, than it's ever been with catchers. Is that, is it, that accurate? That, that, that is accurate uh, since I've been here, and I've been here a while. Um, just at every level, you know, Brian Servin in AAA, Willie McIver, and we talked about Drew Romo and Fulford. I mean, it's really an intriguing group of guys. And, and you know, Willie catching skill set, like coming out, we knew we were, you know, we were getting a bat uh, that was going to have some power potential. And the catching skill set has progressed. But his his leadership, and it's an organic leadership, and his ability to engage uh, behind the plate is just really phenomenal. Um, you know, he is – he's almost a – I used to call him a hype man for those pitchers. You know, I mean, just gets pumped up when they hit a spot, and you watch him catching a bullpen. And, um, you know, he's always got a smile on his face. But the the leadership component, and and you know, obviously he's throwing extremely well right now. And I think you know what's going to separate him is going to be the bat. You know, are we going to be able to hit for for enough average to hold down a, an everyday job in the big leagues? Because uh, I know the power is there. We we're starting to see it this year. Um, Kaufman, uh, uh, Carl Kaufman is a guy that was, uh, he was, tra- he was a Michigan guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Big Ten, sometimes it's funny with the, with those northern schools, you, you know, you're never sure and that sort of thing. But one of the things I always look at, and I'm interested to see, Chris, if you do when you're, when you're not around the club, when you're just checking numbers before you check in with, you know, the, the coaching staff, where you where you say, okay, man, whip is something important to me, and punch outs, um, 
guys who miss bats is always intriguing. I know it's sexy, but that's where the game is. And Carl Kaufman, at least at the double-A level, he's missing bats, isn't he? He is missing bats. I mean, the start Friday night that I saw was easily the best start that I've seen out of a starter in the minor leagues this year. And on top of that, you know, seeing how he came into camp, and there was an adjustment made in camp that, that him and Flint Wallace worked through and Linton about, you know, just keeping him a little more compact, getting get him more on time. And we started to see – it was an interesting one because he was drafted after the, you know, they went all the way to the championship game, you know, in the championship series, game three in the championship series in college against Bandy. He had 140-some-odd amateur innings that year, so we shut him down in 2019. And then 2020 was COVID fun, you know. Yeah. So 2021 was really the first time we got him into a rotation on a professional mound. And so seeing his ability to go back into that league that, that you know, he struggled in and make the adjustments and learn from some of the stuff that he went through last year, uh, it's phenomenal. Um, but the look in his eye is different. Obviously, the pitch mix, you know, from, you know, that sinker that he's throwing, which is late and firm, to the slider that I saw on Friday. Uh, he's really got it all going on right now. Um, you know, and, and pitched him through the eighth uh, which is is it, still early for a guy to get eight innings, you know, because we still are very aware of the pitch count. Seventh inning, he punched out the side. You know, so you love those guys that are truly taking control of the game like that. And and he he was making sure we knew that it was going to be his game to lose. And guys write their own story. I mean, I'll, I'll steal a basketball analogy right now. Uh, Nikola Jokic just won his second, you know, MVP award back-to-back. He was a second-round pick in the NBA, which is like being a, you know, an 18th-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft. So when I ask you, hey, project for me, Chris, where is this guy? Is he a back-of-the-rotation guy? Is he, a, you know, a long-haul guy? Is a bullpen, a spot starter? It doesn't. It, I, I understand, you know, it's, it's a very educated opinion, but things change, and, and all of a sudden, that guy you thought was a middling guy becomes the front of the rotation guy, right? Yeah. Where's Kaufman right now for you? I am back to the rotation. Um, you know, a, a guy throwing fourth or fifth for you in a, in a rotation, and you feel pretty good about it. Okay. You know, because he's got he's got enough swing miss in there, but he's also got contact early in the count. Yeah. Um, how, how, you know. Overall, because this sport, I've said this a million times, and I know you have, this sport will never change from the time kids are 10 years old all the way up until the to the best in the world, which is what you try to get your guys to be when they get to the top league in the world. It's always going to be about pitching, and, yeah. and oftentimes about the guys that start games and hopefully get you deep into games. Where is where Where's the system right now? In terms of starting pitching, in your mind, I think I think you know as far as the starting pitching goes, you know we're still, you know you're still hoping for a couple guys to pop, and you know some of the depth in the, on the, on the mound is in the lower levels. If you look at uh, you know what we're doing in Arizona, Fresno, and uh, Spokane is running six man rotations to create more starter depth. Because um, that's one that's one of the areas we've been lacking. You know, we've got a lot of guys on the shelf that, that typically we'd count on. You know, Sam Weatherly, Ryan Rollison, guys like that that are, that would add to that. Peter Lambert that would add to that starter depth uh, overall. But you know, that that's one of the areas that that you know we are working hard to improve is you know truly having sustainable rotations at each level. Right. Real quick in, in Albuquerque. We, we've seen Montero. We've talked about him. I mean, he he was very impactful in spring training. In his first cup of coffee in the big leagues, he handled himself really well, hit two balls sharply up the middle. Uh, this guy looks like he's going to be a, a corner power DH uh, type of bat in, in the big leagues. You have to be pleased with, with how he's come along, coming out of, you know, originally a Cardinal system, and then he had a down year. Uh, you know, initially with the, you know, his last season with the Cardinals and, and where he is now. No, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, he, it's an intriguing personality. Uh, he absolutely loves the hit. 
like every facet of hitting, you know, just loves talking about it, loves the cage work, loves VP rounds regardless how hot or windy it could be in Albuquerque. He loves to hunt pitches, you know, and he's an extremely aggressive early in the count guy uh, where he does, you know, his best damage. Um, you know, defensively, we've seen him improve considerably at third base. I don't see a gold lover there. You know, we we just need him to be steady. Uh, we tried to buy some added first base compliments, but that's still so fairly new that I think that's going to take a lot of time, a lot of innings over there, to, you know, to get used to the bag and, and the depth of the position and where you need to be and the responsibilities. Um, but the bat is, is so intriguing, you know, because it's power, it's pitch recognition, it's zone discipline, and, and like I said, I mean, he loves the hunt. Ryan Feltner also, a guy that came up, uh, we saw him briefly last year. He seems to have made a significant stride. And I have to tell you uh, that whenever I see a guy who has a low three ERA as we tape this in Albuquerque, I'm thinking, <laughs> this must be Bob Gibson. <laughs> right? There's no doubt. I mean, even, you know, I was just talking about Albuquerque this morning on another call of, you know, they've sped up the game everywhere else, but you're not going to speed it up in the PCL. <laughs> right. You know, they're serving breakfast at some of those parks nowadays, you know. Yeah. Um, but there's no doubt, you know, and I think what we're seeing is a guy that, you know, came in very mechanically driven, always kind of thinks there was mechanics. And, and you know, now his focus seems to be on, I just need to execute over the plate more. My stuff is plenty good to navigate lineups, whether it's in the PCL or once once he becomes a mainstay in our rotation of big ones. Um, you know, instead of thinking about, okay, how am I feeling? Where's my release point? You know, some of that stuff that he's gone through and truly focused on what's happening at the plate where it matters the most. He made a physical adjustment uh, on a, a move off the rubber, on the rubber so that he could kind of hold his slider on the plate longer, um, you know, which I think is key. Uh, and, and kind of get more of that strike ball type slider, um, which is fantastic with the action he's got, the arm side action he's got on his fastball, and then and the master of that slider. And, and the one pitch that I'm hoping he starts mixing more at the big league level, he's got an unbelievable changeup, and he just seems to go away from it. Um, but, you know, Athleta, another, you know, another makeup kid, um, that, that I'm not sure he's even the best competitor in, in his little couple there, his relationship. Because uh, his, his future wife is in the uh, W League soccer. Oh, that's right. I, I, yeah. I know what I heard that. Okay. So, you know, we, we talk about that because I've married a, married a soccer player. But there's certain dynamics in the household that you have to navigate. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. But listen, his numbers. You know, his numbers jump, jump off the charts and what he's done, uh, this year in the minor leagues. Hey, is he, uh, where, where is he, does he have a chance to be a middle rotation guy? I think because of the two secondary pitches and, and the development we're seeing, especially in the slider, that he's got a chance to be a middle rotation guy. Good deal. Well, Chris, I mean, I know that the, for fans, it's a, it's a thumbnail sketch and we touched on a lot of guys, but it's interesting. And I think overall, cause he, I know it comes in waves sometimes in the organization. I don't know, six years ago was thought to be, you know, near the top of the food chain. And in the last couple of years, uh, you know, was rated uh, on the other end of the food chain. And it seems to me, and I know you can't pay attention to ratings. You're, you're involved in it, but it seems to me that the organization overall, especially at the lower levels, have a lot of prospects and is in a much better place than perhaps it was a couple of years ago. Is that is that an accurate and fair statement? Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, we saw the dynamic of, of you know, even going to Boca Chica and, and seeing, you know, the two teams in the Dominican Summer League winning their division. And we won the Complex League in, in Scottsdale, you know, and then two championship series in Fresno and Spokane. So you kind of knew – this year that, you know, the gap that we had at the upper levels was going to start closing. You know, you like the names and, and the makeup and the scale of the team that's in Hartford much better than what we've had in the past. Um, you know, so we're starting to kind of close some of these gaps and, and you know, trickle up in Albuquerque, hopefully. Um, you know, they, they've been maintaining extremely well. 
but you know, right now, early on, we got some teams that are playing playing pretty good baseball. Awesome. Hey, Chris, I always appreciate the time. Safe travels. Get everybody in the household healthy uh, back home before you get on that plane, all right? Yeah, there you go. I appreciate it, Drew. All right, Forbes, you be safe, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I know the name that gets everybody excited is shortstop Ezekiel Tovar. And, uh, you know, he's coming quickly. He's coming quickly. But there are other guys that are on their way. In fact, from the Dominican Summer League last year, three arms that dominated were just um, sent from Boca Chica outside of Santo Domingo to the States, to uh, the Rockies' spring training home. Salt River Field's a talking stick, and they're going to be working out there. And you're going to hear about uh, some young arms down the road that are kids now. And I mean literally. They're, they're 18, 17, 18 years of age. And, you know, high-velocity fastballs. In fact, talk to Rolando Fernandez about those three young men. And he felt like they have a chance, ceiling-wise, to be as impactful, if all goes well, as you know, more than a decade ago when we were hearing reports about Franklin Morales and Ubaldo before they arrived. And we all know how good Ubaldo Jimenez ended up being, and, and Franklin Morales as well. Really had strong major league careers and were huge parts of the, you know, the 07 team that made its way to the World Series. So we'll keep you abreast of all that uh, as well. But big thanks uh, to Chris Forbes for jumping on. Hey, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Avalanche and their, you know, as, as you listen to this, I don't know where they'll be in the St. Louis series, but I was on pins and needles in game one because the Avalanche, you know, were throwing everything but the proverbial kitchen sink at Bennington and he kept making saves and you're like the abs can't lose this game in overtime the way they've dominated unfortunately they did not Manson with the goal big celebration nothing like playoff hockey um, so the avalanche hopefully continued their march toward a Stanley Cup and we'll be all over that in coming podcasts thanks again for spending time uh, with us 150 of them and we look forward to the next uh, 150 and many more interviews to come. In fact, John Miller, the great Hall of Fame broadcaster of the Giants, will be joining us on this podcast in the very near future. You all stay well, stay safe. Keep telling your friends about what we do. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a week. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.